Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Happy New Year, 2024. Geez, I wonder what's going to happen this year. Should be interesting, I think. That's putting it mildly. Uh, gosh, I got to tell you. I mean, I know I said I was going to come back on Wednesday, but I figured I'd do this one too. So we'll just get 2024 started off the right way on the first day here. Um, where to begin? I've got lots of things because, again, over this past week when I wasn't recording, plenty of things were taking place clearly. So I've got a great deal of education-related things here, a few jab-related things as well, lots of stories to tell, and uh, a, a couple of sort, sort of, I would say, reoccurring themes that I think are rather important and things to pay attention to here in the new year. Because again, we, we, we've really, frankly, seen a lot of this throughout the last few years, but we're continuing to see it. So I'll tell you what, I want to start with this, though, very quickly, just kind of a side note. And again, this isn't to diminish the importance of this, but unfortunately, one of the halves of the Fall Cabal series, Janet Osserbard, was apparently found dead. Uh, allegedly, she had taken her own life and struggled with depression, so the story goes. She was apparently found, again, weeks after after disappearing, and uh, again, apparently took their own life with medication. Of course, this is coming from her partner, who knew her very well. They were together. They have, they have I believe, adopted children together, and, uh, and that's the case. E- either way, if that story is to be believed and that's the narrative that's to be believed, then it's beyond awful, to say the least. Her work was immensely valuable, and I know that the work of both of them was, was very valuable, in particular, again, regarding the serious nature of the kind of work that they were doing and, frankly, the kind of stories that we try to bring to the asleep public and, and to one another who are awake as, mu- as much as we possibly can. You know, these stories are intense, they're heartbreaking, and it's remarkably corrupt and incredibly satanic. And people have to understand this. And again, researching that kind of information is very overwhelming. In fact, I've seen videos of Janet's partner breaking down and talking about how difficult it is to report some of this stuff. And uh, yeah, so I'm not sure what else I can say other than, again, if the story is to be believed, it's beyond awful. It seems slightly suspicious in some in some ways by saying that, you know, she went missing. It's, it's again, highly possible. I don't know. But either way, uh, a loss without a doubt in the, uh, in the fight for the Great Awakening here. And again, I just pray for the best for her partner and their family and everyone involved. Uh, you know, I hope they continue. I hope her significant other continues to make these videos and expose a great deal of things, but time will tell on that. Okay. With that said, let me move to this. And again, it's not much of a transition here, but I, I do want to make mention of this too. You know, I, I, you've heard me comment consistently, certainly over the last couple of years about corruption in sports and it being a giant gaslighting distraction and a thousand things. This past week, I found myself, of course, watching bowl games, college bowl games, which I do. And it's really the only week where I watch TV. And it's the only week where I watch sports and uh, in football in particular. I got to tell you, what's going on in college football is an absolute abomination, in, in my humble opinion. 
I think it's beyond disgusting. And you talk about, again, a business that is failing, a business that is trying to get a grasp over its failure that it created, and they have no idea how to control it. So just as a quick review, even for those that that may not be aware or perhaps have forgotten, and I'm not saying I'm going to get all of this right, but I do find it remarkably interesting. I remember when I was a kid, you know, bowl games were on after Christmas and, and we would watch them and, you know, they were just on the TV and my grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles would bet on the games. And, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was rather simple. The, the bowl games were rather simple. They were straightforward. A lot of them were close because you had the number one team playing the number two team, the three team playing the four team, the five team playing the six team, and so on and so on. And that's not the case now. Now you have a team with 11 or 10 wins playing a team with 7 or 6 wins. It's, I mean, that alone is beyond ridiculous to me, and I, I don't quite understand it. I know that the closer it gets to the so-called national championship game, that the, the, the rankings, so to speak, are closer. But what's perverted the entire thing, which you've heard me bring up before now, is the ability to pay these college players for their likenesses and their appearances and a thousand other things. So they're making money as as college students and as student athletes. And it's really in the high profile sports, in particular football, uh, and certainly basketball, I would assume. But you have this consistently referenced at, at just a nauseating level, the old portal window, or the por- the transfer portal, as they call it. Again, this is this is beyond outrageous too, because now you basically have a drafting system that exists within college football where students are chasing not only money, but they're not being taught anything about loyalty. I mean, I remember a time in college football where if you played college sports, you had to play right up until about your senior year. And if you wanted to go into the NFL, you could ditch out in your senior year, but you couldn't ditch out as a freshman. You couldn't ditch out as a sophomore or a junior. You had to stay in it. And that's not the case anymore. Now everybody thinks that they're an NFL prospect, and everybody thinks that they're, again, chasing money. And again, what lessons is this really teaching these these young people? It's not teaching them anything about loyalty. It's not teaching them anything about hard work and hard work in the long run. I just think it's beyond disgusting. And it's just perverted the entire watching experience and viewing experience. And I think that there were really two games that exemplified this entire perversion. And the first was the Ohio State-Missouri game, which was beyond embarrassing. Um, you know, they, they, everybody was talking up Missouri as, is this going to be a huge win against a big program? And the fact is, is that they weren't playing the Ohio State that played throughout the entire course of the season. Because again, Ohio State had players that left. Ohio State had players that abandoned their team during their bowl game and before their bowl game. Uh, you know, the other example, of course, was the Georgia Florida State game. Florida State had a bunch of players that, that that were missing. Georgia was clearly the way better team, even if Florida had all their starting players. I think Georgia still would have crushed them, and they did. But again, that right there should prove to people that it's perverted the entire situation. Now, here's what's funny. I make a direct comparison to watching the complete cave-in of the NCAA 
to the American K-12 and university school system because theoretically, they're the same kind of thing. They're operated the same way. They're always trying to chase something and fix their own problems that they create. And they don't know how. Because, of course, they were the ones that created them. So to backtrack and just revert and go back to the way that things were before they screwed them all up, what do they do? They double down on their lie, they double down on their mistake, and they make their mistake even more complicated in an effort to try to cover up the mistake that they've made. Case in point, instead of going back to the way that it was back in the 1980s and and all of the years before that, where there was no playoff, I mean, the playoff thing only came around somewhat recently. Um, I'm not sure how many years ago that exactly was. It it wasn't in the 90s. It was certainly in the 2000s. But either way, instead of going backwards and finding the answer that existed for decades and decades and decades, they've decided now to include a 12-team playoff system for next year because they think that that's going to cause the players to stick around you know, at a chance at uh at at getting a national championship because again if you're if you're playing in a bowl game as it were you know that used to be your championship that used to be basically like you know okay great we're playing in a bowl game let's win this bowl game and we'll be bowl champions that in itself was good enough but that's not good enough anymore now they're going to take all those bowl names that we've all recognized throughout the years not that any of it matters because it doesn't but they're going to take those names and they're just going to be those playoff games. So if you win, you know, the Cotton Bowl or the Peach Bowl or the Orange Bowl, well, you've just won a playoff game. That's all. That's all it's going to mean. I I I uh I have to tell you, I just think it's disgusting because it's sending the wrong messages to endless people and it's hilarious from this standpoint that everybody's having to watch this and just go along with it and accept it like it's okay. I mean, it was the NCAA that allowed this. They were the ones that did this. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's if, if anything, it's proven that what Cardale Jones, the old quarterback for Ohio State, who when they won the championship that first year with Urban Meyer, he, I mean, he was lambasted on Twitter for saying, you know, I didn't come to Ohio State for no schooling. I think that was his exact quote. And he's right. He's right. Those football players aren't there to learn how to read and write. They're, they're, they're there to chase money, in particular now. And they're there to chase as much uh, notoriety as they can before they attempt to enter the NFL draft, where they can hopefully cash in, so they think. And, I mean, it's amazing. It's just continuing to sell the lie to so many people. But I truly do believe that that's the sign of the collapse. It's, it's one of many signs. There were so many other visual signs of the collapse, too, with the college football stuff, even with the commercials aside. And I'll get to the commercials in a second, because they were an abomination, too. But the game itself, you know, the, the words that they use and these announcers is, is really interesting. And from a, from a qualitative reasoning and analysis standpoint, they are remarkably repetitive. Now, by the time you hear this, I will have written and published on the American Classroom Substack uh, another Substack article about artificial intelligence in education. I highly recommend you bounce over there and check that out. 
I do have one up there right now, which I wrote here right at the end of the year, titled Theories for the War in 2024, Presidential Election Theories and Possible Surrounding Scenarios. But what was interesting about the AI aspect is that ESPN, of course, has their own betting system, which I mentioned in a previous episode, which was new to me. But they also have what's called ESPN Analytics, which is their own AI system that is used and that they reference in-game. The announcers will make reference to it to where if a team, say for example, is in a fourth down situation, the AI tells them, tells the announcers and anybody paying attention to it what the team should do in that situation. And the announcer, again, like I said, references this like, well, ESPN Analytics said that this should happen. And then they actually talk about it like you're not supposed to have an opinion. Again, they're trying to make it sound like all of it matters when none of it matters. But now that AI is involved, they want you to care more about it. It's beyond ridiculous. I just, I find it laughable that people are buying into this. And of course, they're using the ESPN analytics artificial intelligence thing, assuming that any of that's real, when it could just be Fat Eddie sitting in a corner, you know, making his own picks, and he's he's really the ESPN analytic thing. But even so, people are making bets and losing money and, and gaining money based on what a computer tells them. This t- complete forfeiture of the human mind is astounding to me. I mean, just the mouth breathing. I can just hear these people getting dumber and fatter by the second. It really is remarkable. Uh, but, but again, the games themselves were so, uh, so fixed. And you've heard me again talk about the fixed nature and the gaslighting that goes on and how these games are rigged. They couldn't get more rigged. You know, I was watching one of them, what was it? Uh, Minnesota and whoever Minnesota was playing, forgive me for forgetting, but Minnesota was playing this other team and then Minnesota was lined up a particular way. And then the offense changed their scheme from being an offensive play on fourth down to then going to a punting formation. The referee quite literally squeezed the ass of a, of a Minnesota defensive player, I believe on the defensive line or a linebacker or whoever it was, in an effort to warn them that if they were still staying in that position that they were standing in, when the ball was hiked, that they would be committing a penalty. Now, if that penalty had been committed and that player had not moved because the referee didn't squeeze his ass cheek, That would have been a five-yard penalty, and it would have been a first down for the offensive team on fourth down. So, again, the ref intervened and contributed to the outcome of a situation in in the football game. It, It couldn't get more obvious because the announcers actually announced this. They brought it up. They were like, oh, look, the referee grabbed him and and told him he has to stand over here. And well, if the ref didn't do that, it would have been a five-yard penalty because he was out of formation and blah, blah, blah. I'm saying to myself, holy shit, is anybody paying attention to this? The fact that the whole game is being manipulated by the refs. 
and that the announcers are again making note of this like it's not that big of a deal. There was another one. Oh, hell, now I'm, I didn't write any of these down and I should have. My apologies, but I'm running on memory here. There was another one where the referees were openly, this would have been after that Minnesota game. The referees were openly talking about pass interference not being called in this particular game. It was a separate game, a bowl game, but they were going, wow, the refs sure aren't calling pass interference. There's pass interference all over the place. And then there'd be another play where it's clearly pass interference. The guy's wearing the other person like a mink suit, and he's all over him. And, uh, and again, there's no pass interference. But the announcers are openly saying that there's, that there's pass interference and that I guess the refs just aren't calling it. Well, what happened at the end of the game? Toward the end of the game, they started calling pass interference when it mattered. It was outrageous. Again, the cheating just can't get any clearer. The fixed nature of all of these games can't possibly get any clearer. And there were endless other examples. Um, gosh. Again, you know, I, I just heard about this too. What was it? It would have been Saturday night's Monday night football game between uh, Dallas and Detroit. The end of that game was absurd. I didn't watch a second of it, but I saw the end on YouTube and the arguments surrounding it and that the individual who caught the game-winning two-point conversion for the Lions was apparently deemed an eligible receiver and then not an eligible receiver and a flag was thrown, which determined the outcome of the game. Again, I've read two books on sports betting and sports fixing. This is how it gets done. This is it. So I just think that the whole thing is disgusting. I think that the entire thing is, is, is one giant psychological operation to gaslight end, endless individuals into watching something that's completely fixed. And people bet money on this, and, and they waste their time and energy on this. And I, again, was watching it as sort of a researcher from the outside looking in because I'm so far removed from it now that I just find it fascinating from a qualitative reasoning and analysis standpoint. Now, with the games aside, good Lord, the commercials. Oh, my God. The commercials are the flippin' worst. The flippin' worst. Couple of general observations. Pay attention to the commercials that pin one person against another or a couple against another couple. They're black and white now, literally. And the black couple is the couple that has it figured out while the white couple is the dummy. And they're the ones that don't have it figured out. There's a Spectrum cable commercial that exemplifies this perfectly. The black couple has the right Spectrum program because they're with Spectrum and they have the best cable and blah, blah, blah. They bundle their phone and wireless internet and cable boxes and they're smarter than everybody else. And then standing next to them is this stupid, fat, white couple. At least the guy's kind of, the guy's kind of bigger. But they're going, uh, what have we been doing wrong this whole time? And then all of a sudden... They're like, yeah, we're going to do what that couple's doing. And they've got, you know, big smiles on their faces because they're the black couple that has it all figured out. 
This kind of division and racial division is not an accident. It is a giant on purpose. It is designed to distract people, anger people. This is, this is the entire point. This is the Zionist, you know, Jewish manipulation of the entire thing. We've been warned about this for centuries, but, I mean, it's, it's just in our face in almost every form of advertising. The mixed-race couples are everywhere. The medical commercials, good Lord. The one that kept playing over and over again was the St. Jude cancer commercial. Did you see this one by chance? It's a black mother, no husband anywhere, black mother with their cancer-stricken child who probably has leukemia. And as we know, leukemia is the number one, number one child cancer that exists because of vaccination. Childhood leukemia and childhood cancer didn't exist before vaccination. But in this commercial, not only is it a St. Jude commercial where you come to St. Jude and we'll save your life, and, and we'll tell you that we're with you the whole way, but they're all wearing masks. And what's the number one cause of cancer? Oxygen deprivation at the cellular level. So the very commercial about the very hospital that wouldn't let you take ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, jabs everybody to the bone and claims to be the cure for cancer, is actually on film claiming that they're the cure for cancer while causing cancer in the commercial. It, it blows me away. You can't, again, it defies all logic to anybody who has any sense, but they're counting on the people watching it not having any sense. It's amazing. And it's, I mean, it's beyond depressing as well, because it's just in your face all the time. I don't know. The commercials were terrible. Too many to, too many to describe that were beyond disgusting. But the, the racial division, the constant conflict, uh, you know, the, the man is stupid. The woman is in the most intelligent. I mean, it, it's just, it's just awful. They can't just have a song and a ditty and, and sell you a product. It's got to be race based. It's got to be gender based. It's got to be, you know, uh, division based. It, it's, it's gross. It's just really gross. So anyway. Wanted to bring that to your your attention. I'm, I'm sure you know if, if you were watching any of it, even for a blink of an eye, uh, it hit you like a freight train. So that's the you know the blessing and the curse of of being awake and uh, being surrounded by people who are dead asleep. I should mention this too. There were a few others that I thought a few other commercials that were rather telling, and again rather ironic. I thought, of course, there's the constant uh, Kelsey brother. Two in one flu shot Pfizer shot commercial, which again is beyond disgusting as well, uh, because again, who watches these games? It's it's typically parents and their and their children, and again they're they're watching these games together. Families are watching these games together, and they're seeing that commercial. And again, what are they saying? You know, what are they what are they actually thinking? Who are they trying to target? Again, are, are they having conversations with themselves as viewers of that commercial, that Pfizer commercial, and saying, you know, this commercial's disgusting. How dare he do that? Does he not know what's going on? Or are they looking at each other and high-fiving and then showing off each other's Band-Aids on their arms because of all the shots they've received? I mean, which is it? 
are, are they awkwardly quiet because they, they find it ridiculous even though they took the shots themselves? Or are they like us and they're looking at that commercial laughing and you know, also hanging our head in disgust because we can't believe what we're seeing? It's, uh, I don't know. It's it, it, the propaganda and the psychological warfare here that's being used against us on a constant basis is, is over flipping whelming. And there's another one too um, th- that was clearly jab related, uh, sort of in an indirect way. There's this commercial that was called Staff DNA, S T A F F DNA. Maybe you saw this one. It's a nursing application. And it has to do with hiring nurses. And if you're a nurse and you want a job, then you download the app and then you plug in your credentials and then you say where you're located. And then apparently these nursing organizations or hospitals, doctors' offices, whatever, they reach out to you and then they hook you up with a job. Well, Staff DNA, I mean, I got on their website and bounced around a little bit. They didn't come around until 2020, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 2021. That's interesting timing, isn't it? To create an app to uh, to gather more nurses. Why would you need more nurses in 2021? What was happening with all of your nurses in 2021? Were they getting sick? Were they dying? What from? And now they keep pushing this particular app in the commercial, which I found fascinating. And ironically enough, it was during the first responders bowl which I believe took place in Nashville, Tennessee, or I could have that wrong, but either way, the first responders bowl not only was running the St. Jude commercial on a constant basis and the staff DNA commercial on a constant basis, but they were running commercials thanking police officers and firefighters and uh, paramedics and all of these individuals. And again, COVID was kind of the overall theme, the COVID lie. But then they also actually interviewed for one of these commercials for the first responders bowl, the sheriff of the Nashville Police Department. Now, why would they interview him? Well, you might expect it was all because of the fake school shooting that took place in that Presbyterian church. That if it wasn't for the police and the fast action of the cops, that they had to do what they had to do on that fateful day. And they went from classroom to classroom, clearing every room before eventually taking out the shooter. I couldn't, uh, you know, I mean, I, I can believe it, but that right there could, you know, just should continue to prove to people that the propaganda, they got to double down on it. They got to remind you of the, of the fake trauma. And, and that, again, is, is part of the propaganda and psychological warfare agenda to carry out that fake event of the Nashville shooting, and then bring it right back around during a moment of your leisure, when you're watching something in your leisure time or in your off time, however you want to categorize it, only to have you re-traumatized for a brief moment about that thing that they want you to believe happened when in fact it didn't happen. They have to do this. They're masons. I mean, they have no choice. If they're called upon to engage in this lie once again, they're going to do it. So I found, I found that to be remarkably ironic during the first responders bowl. But then again, it was their opportunity to re-traumatize everybody. Again, for something that didn't actually happen. 
So that's kind of my two cents on the whole college football bowl game thing. It really is an interesting case study in itself to just examine what goes on during those games and those commercials and then view it as sort of an outsider looking in, like you're watching, again, The Matrix by living in the real world. Again, we don't live in The Matrix if you're listening to this show. So congratulations, number one. But number two, it really does give you a perspective on the power of The Matrix and how they have to do whatever they have to do to maintain it in order to continue and enslave individuals into believing that what they're watching is real when it's beyond evident it isn't. I mean, almost every single thing that you're watching isn't real. The St. Jude commercial, the, you know, the, the hidden agenda behind the staff DNA app, all the way up to the playoff system and the college games and the this and the that, it's, it's beyond ridiculous. But man, it really does give a person some perspective as to how difficult it is to wake up out of all of this because it's so overwhelming. So there you go. Okay. I want to mention this too, and then this will kind of lead into uh, some education-related things that, that I have lined up here, and I have a great deal of them. And then, of course, the jab-related stuff here toward the end. But I want to mention this, and this is something that you heard me bring up uh, you know, toward the end of last year and in some previous episodes recently. This has to do with something that I think even stretches back to some of the Q posts and something that was mentioned in a number of the Q posts, and it has to do with the, the tagline of, we're witnessing or we're watching the destruction of the old guard. This, of course, has multiple meanings. And at face value at the time, when I remember reading that, I remember thinking, okay, we're watching the end of the media. That's kind of the first destruction of the old guard, which is clearly happening. There's no doubt about that. But what we're also watching, what watching I think, is we're watching the destruction of a generational reliance on particular outlets of influence. And here's what I mean by that. Fox News, it was reported the other day, has had the lowest ratings in 2023 than any previous year they've ever had. That's excellent. That's clearly a destruction of the old guard, is it not? And that's intentional, and they've done it by their own hand, which again should prove that they're Zionist-controlled and Jewish-controlled and a thousand other things, of, of which, of course, they are, but at the exact same time, they're a criminal organization, and they have to stick with their own lies because they were in on endless lies. All of the things that they reported on, everything from 9-11 all the way to the last you know, uh, this Israeli, con you know, Gaza conflict, so to speak, and this mass genocide that's taking place overseas, um, they're in on it. And, and they're not allowing any defection of any kind. They're not allowing anybody to have an alternative voice of any kind. Th that's a big deal. But here's the problem. The problem is, is in war, just like the one we're in now and have been, for quite some time, in particular since the beginning of those Q drops, but it dates even way before then. What you've been seeing 
is this jockeying for position of influence and power and control over what is the perceived most important narrative of all. And I'm not one to determine what that is, but we're watching these numerous groups attempt to overlap one another, step on one another, still have some influence with each other, and then try to basically regain control or overtake control where a previous group used to exist. Here's, here's what I mean more specifically. We're watching, for example, the influx of Turning Point USA, where CPAC used to be something that, that was widely uh, you know, considered to be an influential time in the conservative movement, so to speak, which we know is not true. The Schlapp family, uh, Mercedes and Matt Schlapp, are corrupt beyond belief. They lick the Zionist boot better than anybody. But so does TPUSA. And so does Charlie Kirk. So my point is, is that what we're watching, in my opinion, is we're watching the destruction of the old guard, but they're being replaced by the same controlled human beings. Again, it's the illusion of choice. It's the illusion of an evolution. There is no evolution. There's, I would say, a, an age separation that's taking place. You know, your, your grandmother and, and your mother probably used to, used to watch CPAC. I mean, I saw it a couple of times because I wanted to, of course, pay attention to the, the qualitative reasoning and analysis aspect of what they were talking about based on what was really going on. And it was beyond evident that what was really happening was not being discussed at the CPAC conference level. There's way more serious things taking place than what would ever be brought up at CPAC. Again, CPAC was for the Candace Owenses of the world and the Riley Gaineses of the world and even the Charlie Kirks and a number of these other individuals who, again, are kind of swooping in to try to gain influence. They would always view those conferences as potentially being like an interview session. You know, I'll speak at this conference and then somebody will want me on their show and so on and so on and so on. It isn't any different with the TPUSA conference that took place in December of 2023. Just a few a few weeks ago, same kind of thing, not CPAC, and it was certainly for a younger crowd because there was one segment of that where, of course, you had Tim Pool, you had Jack Posobiec, if memory serves, uh, Charlie Kirk, Tucker Carlson, and another one of Tim Pool's uh, pale friends who was on the, on this panel. And they're all talking to each other and asking questions to one another like nobody else is in the room, like nobody else can hear them, and like they are the intellectuals of intellectuals, that you have to listen to these guys and only these guys, that these are the guys that know what's going on because, well, look at us, we're on a stage, we're the big shots, we're talking to each other on a stage like we're the ones that have all the answers. So let's throw a question out there, and then we'll all agree on it. And by default, all the mouth breathers will just agree with us because we said. Now you've heard me bring up, again, what I believe to be the very nefarious nature of the Tim Pools of the world, in particular Tim Pool himself. 
He remains on YouTube on a platform that's kicking off endless people who are telling the truth. He toes a line so he can maintain his platform, but people don't want to believe for a minute that he's got some kind of a backdoor deal or a behind-closed-curtain deal with YouTube that allows him to maintain himself on that platform. I personally believe that he does. I think that's how he gets paid. I think that's how all that money shows up in that ticker during the comments section of his shows. You've heard me mention that before. I think he has a behind-closed-curtain contract, and that contract says, here's how we're going to pay you. We're going to pay you through YouTube so YouTube gets their cut, but you're going to get the majority of the cut, and it's basically this giant business deal where we are selling your audience into paying into it because people are going to see how much money is going your way. And at the exact same time, we'll let you talk about pretty much whatever you want, including censorship, so you can gaslight the public into believing that censorship is, is, uh, you know, is something that you're fighting against when, in fact, it's the censorship machine that's paying him. That's why I don't trust these people. Never have. Still don't. And, and, and certainly won't in this coming year. I'm not tooting my own horn in this show. You, can, you don't have to listen to this show at all. I'm just saying that I don't listen to their shows because I have a feeling that there's always something else going on. Again, you know, superficially speaking, Tim Pool wears the same clothes every day. There's only, there's only two kinds of people I know, actually three, who wear the same clothes every single day. A child who doesn't want to change their clothes, an Alzheimer's patient, or someone who has something to hide. And I mean that. I'm not smiling or laughing when I say that. I actually mean that. I think he's got something to hide. The man wears a beanie, a stocking cap, in the middle of July. That's odd. What is he hiding? We know he's bald, so he's not really hiding anything. My point is, is it's this, it's a psychological thing. It's a, um, it's a visual tell. He's got something to hide. Uh, he has an image to protect. And, and that right there, I, I, I think, implies serious corruption somewhere regarding something. Some kind of guilt, some, again, backdoor deal that's taking place that is outside the, the, the view of even the people that are, are you know, shoveling him money or, or watching him. I just think that there's always something else going on there. Now, with Tim Poole and his pale friends who are clearly sunshine-deprived, with all of them aside, you've heard me, again, rail on, on Charlie Kirk. He, too... I think, is, is beyond owned by the Jewish lobby. There's no doubt about that. They even let him criticize them from time to time, only to then wrangle him back in and remind him who you know, cuts his checks. Because again, where did he come from? Where did even Tim Poole come from? Where did these guys come from? Have they ever had a job? I, I have a serious question about that. How do you go from not having a job to all of the sudden being on all of these stages and saying all of the things that you're saying with all of this money coming your way. I find it highly suspicious. I still do. 
And I don't think 2024 is going to make it better. I think that these groups and these people in the so-called conservative movement are stepping on each other because they're always jockeying for position. Always. It's a constant competition for them. They're addicted to power. These people are dangerous. They're not dangerous because they're really dangerous, like in a physical kind of way. They're, they're all weak. I mean, look at them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, look at these people. It's the nerd table in high school. None of them lift weights. They're all, they're all pale. They all play video games with a poop bucket underneath them, probably. Um, I, I, could, I could make fun of them all day long because it's too obvious to me. It's just too obvious. Again, they're pseudo-intellectuals, and they think that being pseudo-intellectuals is the way to go, and like that's some sustaining thing to, to engage in. It isn't. If the shooting starts, they cut and run. Not only because they're apparently afraid of the sunlight based on their complexion, but they would cut and run because they wouldn't know what the hell to do. And at that point, when the, again, when, when heads start really getting broken, they wouldn't have anything to really say about what was really happening because, again, their influence would be trumped by the people who were actually on the ground experiencing it. They would, just ha- they would lose all of their influence in the blink of an eye. Now, I've heard some inside dirt regarding TPUSA before, and again, some of, some of their donors, and Charlie Kirk's allegedly been warned about where he gets his money from, and he needs to distance himself from this group or that group. You know, I, I'm not sure about any of that. I, I don't necessarily doubt it. But even the likes of a Jack Posobiec, who I cannot stand, look at his face. The, the man is without emotion. He looks like he was a child who was tied to a chair and cattle prodded as a youngster. I mean, he just, there's nothing there. He certainly, again, he, he claims to be ex-military intelligence for, for Israel and other foreign agents, apparently working on behalf of the United States. So he says, but he's a meme reader. The guy reads memes on the internet and then, and then gets up on stage and reads a speech trying to come off like a tough guy. I watched part of his speech at the TPUSA conference. The word that comes to mind when I listen to him talk is cringe. I just get chills down my spine because he sounds so weak, and he's trying to sound so tough, and he isn't. He doesn't have a tough bone in his body. Because again, when the going gets tough, he's the guy who tries to sound like he's even tougher, and he clearly isn't. So I don't know. I don't know if it's a gift, a curse, whatever. I just feel like I can see through these people. I just see right through them. Jack Posobiec doesn't motivate anybody. I don't, I don't know anybody who actually gives a damn what he thinks. He's wrong most of the time. He's been wrong endless times before on a variety of issues. Um, l- let, me, let me mention this one, too. This had something to do with him. He, of course, was at that conference giving, giving a speech and being on panels and interviewing people. He interviewed the alleged guy in Iowa who allegedly tipped over the satanic statue that was allegedly placed in the Iowa State House. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I would go so far as to say that I don't even think that happened. And here's why. 
There's no security footage of it. If it did happen, it's completely controlled, and that guy is protected for one reason or another. I don't know that guy's background, the guy who allegedly tipped it over. Again, is to, you know, stomp on the throat of Satan, which is great, metaphorically. And, uh, but, but again, what happened in the aftermath? The aftermath was, is this guy had a, a give, send, go, or a GoFundMe page that filled up with tens of thousands of dollars. And then all of a sudden, he finds himself in front of a microphone and every microphone imaginable, including being invited to this TPUSA conference. And he doesn't turn it down. And his lawyers don't look at him and say, hey, look, you know, you need to not talk about this right now because you engaged in vandalism. Yeah, they gave you a ticket, allegedly, and now you have to pay the ticket and whatever else. But, you know, and maybe some legal fees along the way, but it was, it was your basic run-of-the-mill vandalism, so to speak. I'm sure the statue's back up there now. But I found the timing of that event, or psychological operation, if you want to call it, I find it interesting. You know, the, the statue goes up and then, oh, look, this American patriot who's ex-military allegedly uh, knocks it down and it, it rallies the troops and everybody, you know, sort of bites into it hook, line, and sinker all over again. My point is, is that I think that even the so-called good guys are manipulating people as well. And I, and I think that that constant psychological warfare manipulation, which Jack Posobiec claims he was a part of to begin with, I think he's in on it. And I just, I, I mean, I don't like it at all. I don't like any of the psychological manipulation, regardless of the side that it's coming from and regardless of, of its intended purpose. Telling the truth is really the only thing I think that matters and the thing that needs to continue to take place here. So. I'm going to wrap up this little chit-chat on that particular subject anyway by simply saying that I don't trust these people. I think that even they see an opportunity in war where real people are dying and real people are struggling, and they see this as an opportunity for them to get a bigger audience, get more money, have more influence, and that doesn't make them... And by them, I mean the Tim Pools of the world, the TPUSAs of the world. It doesn't make them any better than Matt Schlapp and his fat ass. It doesn't make him, it, it doesn't make any of them any better than CPAC. It doesn't make them any better than the people they criticize, like Lindsey Graham. They're the same. They just wear different colors. They speak in different tones. They go on different programs, but it's the same kind of thing. It's the same manipulation. It's the same listen to me and nobody else. And certainly don't think for yourself. That's really the thing that they're really trying to get people to understand. Look up here on this stage with our panel of nitwits and, and you know pale nerd table attendees from back in middle school and high school who would have get, you know, gotten pounded into the sand back in the school days or swirlied a thousand times. Who knows? Maybe that's why Tim Pool lost his hair. Maybe that's why he wears a beanie all day long and, and doesn't change his clothes. Is because, you know, he's, I don't know, he got tortured in the, in the locker room in gym class. I, I have no idea. I just know that they're always jockeying for a position and jockeying to manipulate people. The last thing they're going to do is encourage anybody to think for themselves. They're not going to do that. 
And if a Tucker Carlson suggests that people do that, well, you're going to watch people run away from Tucker Carlson because they're going to disagree with him. And I don't agree with everything Tucker Carlson says, not by a long shot. He's openly out there and he's openly stated that the darkening of America and the elimination of white people is something that he invites. He's openly said this in other podcasts since being removed from Fox News in not so many words. In fact, I have that audio, and I'd like to play it right now. It's a minute and three seconds long. I don't know what podcast he's on. Uh, It's a video clip, but here's the audio from that, and you can make the determination on your own. So here's Tucker Carlson in 3-2-1. I will say this, if I could just make one prediction. So the United States is becoming non-white. Everyone's excited about it. Or whether you're not excited about it, it doesn't matter. Whites are going to be in the minority. So what that means soon. So what that means is... You're going to get at some point, probably in my lifetime, people standing up and and saying, I represent white people. I'm the candidate of the white voter. And I just want to say on the record that I'm going to tell that person to fuck off because nobody speaks. I'm a I'm an adult man and nobody speaks for me because he shares the same skin color as me. Like I just reject that entire idea. If I agree with you, I'll let you speak for me. And if I don't, I won't. But this idea that someone of a certain skin color, any skin color or any ethnic background speaks automatically on behalf of all people who share that skin color, ethnic background is a Nazi idea. And I'm totally opposed to it. And I will be opposed to it when it happens to me, when somebody, this will happen. Someone's going to all white people. I'm going to be like, I don't even know you, dude. I don't even know you. I refuse to allow you to purport to speak for me because we look the same. There's so much wrong in that one minute that uh, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know where to begin. Because again, he's claiming that race replacement and the elimination of a race and, and that the purposeful destruction, which is what this is, of a race of people that, that helped build this country to what it is, that that elimination is fine and that he's fine with it and that he says everybody else is fine with it. Well, he's contradicting himself because, again, he's claiming to speak for everybody. Well, he doesn't speak for me, and he doesn't speak for endless individuals. I don't find any of this entertaining. I don't find any of this good. Because, again, in the, in the very next breath, he'll criticize, say, a Harvard, a Harvard University or a Columbia University for purposefully not hiring white people because that's their underground policy during their hiring practices. Well, which is it then? Are you fine with it or are you not fine with it? Because you can't be both. So this is, you know, this is the problem here. This is the problem. The problem is, is that you still have the mouth-breathing Fox News-watching audience no longer watch Fox News, but still hang on the every word of a Tucker Carlson. And then they might get together and say, well, okay, you guys get together and you watch Tucker Carlson. Who else are we paying attention to? Who else are we listening to? Is there another program out there that that we can listen to that can give us some perspective as to what's going on? Or heaven forbid, we just turn everything off and think for ourselves for once. I mean, what what is it? That's what these individuals again probably do. I understand that. I'll, I'll give Tucker this. I think he serves a purpose in helping destroy Fox News. 
And I think he's been successful at it because it's like watching, you know, the cool kids stand up from the cool kids table, so to speak, and go off and do their own cool thing. I'm using giant finger quotes here, but I mean, Tucker Carlson took a good deal of the Fox News audience with him and away and away from Fox News to where they're basically being deprogrammed by listening to Tucker Carlson because they're not getting the Fox News propaganda anymore and that and that evil propaganda and that fake propaganda. They're still getting it with Tucker Carlson. They're just getting it with a more unfiltered sort of direct you know sort of f u mentality if i can put it that way you know uh, again the, the things that tucker is saying and the people that he's talking to and the subjects he's talking about are not anything you would see on fox news which again if if that pulls viewers away from fox news and toward him well great they're still being manipulated <laughs> they're, they're they're still they're still being lied to you know they're still being controlled to some aspect but again if if he if he serves a purpose of getting people away from mainstream news so to speak my only warning and i promise i'm moving on my warning is be careful as to as to what you're paying attention to and who you're who you're putting your eggs in in whose basket so to speak in the so-called alternative media because again it's a changing of the old guard. That doesn't mean that it's a difference in the old guard. It just means it's a changing. The labels change, the names change, the faces change. But is the message the same? Maybe the message is a little more severe. Maybe the message is a little more real. Maybe it's a little different and a little more edgy. And that's not a bad thing. But is it still corrupt? Is it still not getting down to brass tacks? So those are the questions to ask, I think, along with many others, but that's my two cents there. Okay, moving on. A couple more geopolitical things here real quick. This is from Zero Hedge uh, last week. Israel fails to prove targeted Gaza hospital was Hamas hub, so says the Washington Post. So that actually came from the Washington Post. Because the lies that are coming out of Israel and the lies that are coming out of their media and their so-called intelligence apparatus are never-ending. We're being hit over the head with that October 7th, 7th lie on a constant basis, and the Gateway Pundit is continuing to push it on people like nobody's business. Um, and here's a perfect example. They put out a story on December 26th titled, Muckraker, which is an alternative media outlet, so to speak, releases several, and here was the headline, they call it Mask Mi Migration Blueprints, quote-unquote, used by left-wing NGOs and the UN in the planned and organized invasion of America. Left-wing NGOs. According to Muckraker, or at least according to uh, the Gateway Pundit, they spin it and they call these th this invasion led by left-wing NGOs and the UN. No. Nope. From a historic standpoint, this is run by Zionists. This is run by the Jewish moneylenders. Period. Always has been. 
Every slave trade always has been, still is today. Every, every human trafficking, whether they be adults or children, organization always has been. Yes, it's cartels and, and Mexican cartels and Southern America and Central American cartels facilitating this, but where are they getting their money from? It's not all from drug money. They're not going to waste their drug money on moving people all of the time. They have to get kickbacks from somebody else. Turns out it's the moneylenders. It's the Jewish and Zionist moneylenders. Again, they're the ones flying them here. <laughs> they're, not, they're not all walking in these giant lines from point A to point B across the Texas-Arizona-New Mexico border and, and California border. They're being flown here through religious organizations, quote-unquote, Jewish organizations, Christian organizations, Catholic organizations. It's beyond ridiculous to, to blame left-wing NGOs for such a thing, unless left-wing NGO is code word for Jewish organization. If that's true, then yeah, that's, they're right. But that's not what they mean. Because the Hoft brothers are, are gay and Jewish. They have an agenda too. And they too, again, are being exposed, I think, in this, uh, in this war. They're being exposed as being individuals who are trying to gain more and more influence with people. And frankly, I think that their influence has come and gone. They had influence in particular back in, I'd say, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018 right up until and perhaps just through 2020. But now, within 2022-2023, I'm sorry. Uh, the cat's out of the bag here. It's beyond evident with a gateway pundit that uh, they're not interested in the truth because of the endless lies that they've pushed. Everything from Ashley Babbitt all the way down to, of course, the October 7th fiasco. So, they're in on it also. Just wanted to bring that to your attention, too, and I thought that headline exemplified it perfectly. Okay. Uh, very quickly, again, and just a reminder, check out the AmericanClassroom.substack.com for my artificial intelligence article regarding AI's influence in education. It is the fast kill of, it, of the education program, without a doubt. It's a lengthy article, but I think it's worth it. And uh, yeah, artificial intelligence and manipulating people entered the classroom very early on. It was as simple as rolling a television on a cart into a classroom and plugging it in. And then the teacher saying, we're going to watch something. And I was even that school teacher from time to time as well. But that right there is part of it. And it's gotten to the point now where artificial intelligence is being used to actually teach entire classes. And it's being used to design professional development at both the university and K-12 level, and it's being used in endless platforms. And how do you think it's being evaluated? Do you think they're going to let AI be negatively evaluated within these school districts and universities? Of course not. They're not going to allow a negative evaluation to take place of AI in education because they need AI in education because they need to kill people. It's a part of a depopulation program. It's a part of the deep population program, and as I state in the article, AI is a massive arrow in the quiver of the depopulation agenda. And again, I, I think one of the telling signs was its rollout from a year ago, 
and then how quickly the education business at all levels from K through university went from saying, we got to be real careful with this. This is, uh, you know, this says this is rife with plagiarism and this could be a real problem to all of the sudden doing a complete 180 within 12 months. And now they're going, oh, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. This is the cat's pajamas. This is fantastic. That's not an accident that they flip-flopped like that. They were paid to. They're told to. Because they know that if they go against the grain on the latest flavor of the month or the next arrow in the quiver of depopulation, they're going to find themselves without a job. That's how the corrupt business operates, and it works that way in every line of work. Again, AI is being talked about consistently now as going to be the future of wiping out endless professions run by human beings, everything from accounting to economic positions, so much so that those won't even be majors in college anymore. They'll cease to exist. You won't have anybody going to school to be an accountant or I want to be an economist, or I want to be a financial advisor. Won't happen. Won't happen. They'll be run by machines. They don't need humans for those positions anymore because they already have humans creating the robots to do the job for them. No different in education. Same thing. And it's not going well. I bring up the bias also, the political bias, that if AI says that a particular political agenda has to has to exist within a school building or a school district or a university or a classroom setting or even a specific curriculum or instructional method it's game over that school teacher isn't going to have a chance and they're not going to have a choice they're going to have to implement it no matter what because everybody's getting a financial kickback for influencing and promoting the very thing that's leading to everybody's destruction i'm not blackpilling because we know what the healthy alternative is, don't we? It's not continuing to send your children to these environments and expecting the right thing to happen. It's not becoming a board member on a school board and, you know, we're going to show them and we'll give that superintendent the old heave-ho. It's a nice short-term solution to a problem that you're not going to be able to fix in the long run. Because if states start adopting this AI stuff, which they already have, it's game over. So you have to make the entire system collapse. If you don't give a platform for the robots to kill everybody, <laughs> okay, metaphorically, if you don't give them a platform or a factory to be built in the first place, let alone a factory of of a hive mind of young of young people to actually go and operate, then the AI system can't exist anymore. It ceases to exist. So all the more reason in 2024, because this is the war of all wars here, to pull your children out of school now and get them out now. Because again, as I say you know, in the article, they're going to throw, if I didn't, well, it was actually in the previous substack in the theories for the war in 2024, the enemy's going to throw everything up against a wall and see what, see what sticks. And this is going to go way past the election of 2024. This is going to go into 2025. This is going to go way past that too. It's the rabid dog. You get the rabid dog who's been caught, whose back's up against a wall. What's going to, you know, how does that rabid dog behave? We've already seen how they behave. They'll kill people. 
They'll kill people. They'll do whatever they have to do to distract and try to get everybody into their global agenda. And this year, I might add, happens to be the year that the old pandemic treaty is apparently going to be rolled out and widely accepted, I'm sure. And as I say in the uh, the theories for war in 2024 Substack article, they might use the French Olympics as as being a Kickstarter to a lot of that. And I'm not the only person or group of people, I'm sure, that that shares that opinion. That that's a valid, that's a valid logical take. It's an international sporting event. Roll in a little bit of sickness, crank up the 5G, force the shots on people. We start watching, you know, uh Olympic athletes dropping over dead. Why not? If they even can compete at this point. So who knows? I think this year is going to have a lot of fun stuff in it, and I don't mean that, uh, you know, as a as a funny way of putting it. I, I think there's gonna, just going to be a lot of very serious things take place that are going to be mind bending, and that's again putting it mildly. So let's get into some education related stuff here now, beyond the AI stuff. Again, I'll I'll leave that for the Substack article. There is this. And this kind of ties in with a little bit of everything, but I want to read a little bit from this. This is a sort of a larger, larger scheme and a larger point. This was from May of last year from trendingnewsfeed.com. Get a load of this. It was titled, Study Uncovers Dark Relationship Between Left-Wing Extremism and This. And here's what it says. It says, a recent study published in the peer-reviewed journal Current Psychology has shed light on an intriguing connection between dark personality traits and left-wing aggression. This doesn't surprise us, but again, at least it's out there and it's been published because it's 100% true. It says, the research conducted by Dr. Anne uh, Chris Pence and Dr. Alexander Bertrams from the University of Bern in Switzerland explores the motives behind individuals endorsing aggressive left-wing political and social activities. The study suggests that certain individuals with narcissistic or psychopathic tendencies are attracted to such activism as a means to fulfill their ego-focused needs rather than genuine, genuine rather aspirations for quote-unquote social justice. Well, what's interesting is there are no genuine aspirations for social justice because the term social justice, as you've heard me bring up on the show, isn't authentic at all. It's completely made up. Now, I want to finish this article because there's actually not a lot here, and it it summarizes the study rather well, I think. But it says the following. It says, quote, the study introduces the concept of what they call dark ego vehicle principle. It says, according to this principle, Individuals with dark personality traits, such as high narcissism and psychopathy, are drawn toward, or drawn to rather, specific forms of political and social activism that serve as a vehicle for satisfying their own ego-focused desires. These individuals may utilize these activities as opportunities for for self-presentation, displays of moral superiority, gaining social status, dominating others, and engaging in social conflicts and aggression to fulfill their needs for excitement and thrill. I have to tell you, as a side note before I continue, I think of lots of people 
in lots of positions when I think about this. I think of school board members, and I also, of course, think of the stereotypical political left, but at the exact same time, I think of individuals like Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk and and people in, in the Jack Posobics of the world, even them, they need the conflict in order to, you know, fulfill their own whatever. Self-presentation displays of moral superiority. I think it's amazing. Again, we get to learn and we get to comment on things, and I'm not saying that everybody who does that is a narcissist. They clearly aren't. But at the exact same time, you have to, you have to ask yourself the question, what are these people not talking about, and why are they not talking about particular things? Why are they trying to gin up conflict over here when there doesn't need to be? And then they won't examine something that's far more serious over here that they could, but they don't want to because why? Are they threatened by bringing up the truth on particular issues? I'm, I'm not sure. Probably. But I can't help again but think of school board members. I mean, these people are some of the most egotistical, narcissistic, self-important individuals on the face of the planet. And they're the ones running your school district. It continues, it says, The researchers conducted two studies to investigate the endorsement of anti-hierarchical aggression to overthrow those in power and its association with dark personality traits. Both studies found a correlation between individuals endorsing such aggression and possessing narcissistic and psychopathic attributes. It says, The authors caution that their findings do not imply that all individuals with left-wing political views exhibit these dark traits. However, the research highlights the presence of a subset of individuals who exploit certain forms of activism for their own ego-driven motives. Of course. It then says that the authors aimed to delve into the psychological factors underlying left-wing authoritarianism as this area has received limited attention compared to right-wing authoritarianism. Left-wing authoritarianism, as defined in the study, involves three components, anti-hierarchical aggression, anti-conventionalism, and top-down censorship. Again, what does that sound like? Does that sound like Zionism? Doesn't that sound like Bolshevism and Communism? Sounds like people who want to murder other people, does it not? And control them. And then if they're criticized as being the controllers, well, we have to do whatever we can to eliminate them. What's that sound like? It continues, and it says, uh, let's see here, the researchers utilized a newly developed measure for left-wing authoritarianism to assess participants' tendencies. It says, while the study sheds light on a specific aspect of left-wing activism, it is crucial to acknowledge that authoritarianism can manifest across the political spectrum. The research does not claim that all left-wing activists possess dark personality traits, nor does it imply that right-wing activists are exempt from similar tendencies. It serves as a reminder that personality traits can intersect with political ideologies leading to unique manifestations in different individuals. It says the study paves the way for further exploration of the psychological factors associated with left-wing authoritarianism. Additional research in this field can contribute to a better understanding 
of the complexities with political ideologies and help debunk stereotypes or biases associated with certain groups. Broader investigations into the motivations of individuals involved in various forms of activism would provide valuable insights into the interplay between personality traits and political engagement, unquote. I'll simplify it, if I can. It's the difference between sin and a lack of sin. It's the difference between morally sound people and immoral people, people who invite sin and division and people who do not. That's the difference. It's not really left-wing or right-wing, as they want people to believe. It's the individuals who try to live by God's word and the people who detest God. That's it. What titles they put on themselves is irrelevant. That's all window dressing. That's like changing the tie that you wear with a suit. It doesn't really matter. Sometimes it blends in nice and sometimes it, it clashes. But either way, it's just a different tie. It really has more to do with an individual who is morally sound and an individual who is not. And as they point out correctly, it also has to do with the position that they inhabit and their unwillingness to learn in that position or let go of that position. Again, I could bring up endless stories of endless people I've brought up on the show, both in my, in my personal life, my former professional life, and a thousand other current examples that we could all certainly recognize. But these people are everywhere. They're everywhere. The person who refuses to retire, for example. The person who you know doesn't want to let go of that of that chain of command or that power influence or that power structure. Those people are the narcissists. Those are the people again who have a serious problem, and and that should show everybody that they're in it for the wrong reasons. In fact, let me give you a very recent example here, and this ties into education without a doubt. Uh, this was the other day. Mike DeWine ended up vetoing. The bill in Ohio that was passed by the House and Senate, Bill 68, that would have eliminated uh, transgender athletes from pretending and then playing in the sport of their choosing, while also prohibiting gender-affirming care for minors. And I love how they phrase that, gender-affirming care. It would have prevented mutilation of children who are brainwashed and retarded. But, you know, from cutting their genitals off. That's essentially it. He vetoed it because of the vast minority of individuals who he believes would be impacted negatively as a result of not having these things available. Now, again, I, I've ranted about Mike DeWine forever. He's clearly a tool. He's probably on Epstein's flight logs. He's got ties to Ukraine like nobody's business. In fact, he had ties to Ukraine before anybody could even say Ukraine, let alone find it on a map. This guy is so deep, it's, it's beyond disgusting, and only a controlled individual would even reach that position, let alone do the things that he's doing. So, yeah, wh whether he's a Mason or, or anything else is almost irrelevant. I'm certain he is, but he, he's blaming, again, the fact that if these brainwashed children and brainwashed parents who are doing this to mutilate their own children don't have access to mutilate their children, then the kids are going to kill themselves, and, and that's a bad thing. Joke's on him. When they do this, they're more likely to kill themselves both immediately and down the line. 
because that's the point. That's what it is. And he just proved to everybody that he's fine with this satanic agenda. And again, fortunately, in the state of Ohio, the legislature uh, has the majority so they can override his veto, which they should do immediately. And even Donald Trump came out and said, he needs to override this veto. And then he made a comment about how, uh, how he found it interesting that Mike DeWine always got booed at the rallies when Mike DeWine would show up at a Trump rally. That's because everybody in Ohio hates Mike DeWine. Everybody hates him so much that you actually have the left-wing individuals and left-wing radicals who love cutting the genitals off of children applauding Mike DeWine. That should tell you how upside down things are, and that should tell you how brainwashed they are. And of course, there's the out-of-touch element, which has to do with everything else that's happening in the world, in particular in the field of education, that is directly tied to Satanism. Not just, again, people pretending to be a gender that they're not so that they can play in a school-related sport that has nothing to do with them, uh, but a thousand other things, which I'm going to mention in a lot of these headlines here now. One quick side headline, however, in the same vein, has to do with the Olympics. Apparently, now in the Olympics, in the upcoming Summer Olympics, uh, you, you're allowed to have, what is it, um, female boxing. You're now allowed to have males pretending to be females to box female boxers. This is allowed. This right here, again, is going to be the litmus test. Every single female should walk away because they're not going to give a gold medal to a guy pretending to be a girl if the guy's standing there by himself holding his genitals in his boxing glove with nobody to box. You can't give that person a gold medal. The, the entire event would be eliminated, so eliminate it. It's, it's people's willful participation in this insanity, in this satanic agenda that continues to perpetuate it. Just walk away and watch what happens. They'll do one of two things. Kick all the trannies out, or they'll stop having the event altogether. And frankly, it doesn't matter which. I could care less which. I just care about whether or not these dummies are actually going to participate in it and uh, go head-to-head with a guy pretending to be a girl. Because we know that those people are out there. So, there you go. But let's keep going down this uh, satanic agenda that apparently Mike DeWine is completely oblivious to. But we know he's not. He's a part of it. The University of Wisconsin approves a $600,000 grant to study the lasting effects of puberty blockers on children's brains. Researchers hypothesize that puberty blockers lead to lasting changes in developing brains. This is not new. This isn't new. Gender-eliminating chemical castration has been around for a very long time, and it works. That's what it is. They call it lasting effects of puberty blockers. Puberty blockers, no. It's chemical castration. It used to be a penalty. It still is a penalty in some countries. And again, sometimes rightfully so, but when it's willfully accepted by society and brainwashed individuals and politicians and parents and children, well, you don't have to study this to find out its outcomes. It leads to suicide because that's what chemical disruptions in the brain and the body cause. They cause depression. It causes anxiety. It causes thoughts of suicide, lowered dopamine, serotonin, things of this nature. This is not, you know, this, you don't have to study this to figure out its outcome. 
But in that same line, here's another one. University of Wisconsin Chancellor fired for making porn videos. They kept this guy around for a long time. Shocker, he happens to be Jewish, just saying. Uh, Chancellor Joe Go or Gao, G-O-W, was removed from his post last Wednesday for making sexually explicit and X-rated videos with his wife and others on social media and porn websites. The Board of Regents unanimously voted to terminate his chancellorship and place him on administrative leave. The board named Betsy Morgan as interim chancellor and will hire an outside law firm to investigate Gao, G-O-W who was set to retire at the end of the school year. Uh, Wisconsin President, University of Wisconsin President Joe Rothman, every single time, said in a statement that Gao will transition to a faculty role, but that he had filed a complaint with Morgan to review Gao's status as a tenured member. Upon my recommendation, the UW Board of Regents today terminated Dr. Joe Gao from his position as chancellor, effective immediately. It says, in recent days, quote, we learned of significant conduct by Dr. Gao that has subjected the university to significant reputational harm. His actions were abhorrent, Rothman said. Rothman did not say how the board learned of the videos. 63-year-old Gao was the longest tenured chancellor in UW in the UW system. He was denied a pay raise five years ago for inviting former porn actress and activist Nina Hartley to speak at a free speech event on the UW Lacrosse campus. Hartley is featured in one of the sexy, healthy cooking videos that Gal and his wife Carmen Wilson published on YouTube. Good God. Ladies and gentlemen, do we need more evidence? Sure, we do. Here's another one LifeNews.com. 76 Christian universities caught promoting abortion in Planned Parenthood. But they're Christian organizations. Why would they do that? They're not Christian organizations. That's the fun part. They say they are on the outside sign of a building, but that's not what goes on on the inside. Holy Cross, for example, a Jesuit Catholic College in Massachusetts, for instance. It was awarded an A-plus grade in 2021, however, following the reversal of Roe, their Women and Gender Studies Department used the school's website to condemn the decision, demonstrating their commitment to abortion over biblical values. Yeah, and there were 76 of them. Let's rock through these as quickly as humanly possible. Let's see if I can read these off super fast. Allegheny College, Pennsylvania, Capital University, Ohio, uh, Chamondane University in Hawaii, Concordia College, Minnesota, Earlham College, Indiana, Felician University, New, Jer- uh, New Jersey, Guilford College, North Carolina, Holy Cross College, Massachusetts, a Jesuit Catholic school, uh, Manchester, <laughs> Manchester University in, uh, in Indiana. I applied there. Uh, Mary Baldwin University, Virginia, Mil- uh, Milliken University, Illinois, Monmouth College in Illinois, Notre Dame, Denamer University, California, Payne College, Georgia, Rocky Mountain College, Montana, uh, Sawney, the University of the South, no way I said that right, Tennessee, an Episcopal school, 
St. Joseph's University, Pennsylvania, Trinity Washington University in D.C., University of Tulsa Graduate School, Oklahoma, Villanova University, Pennsylvania, Albion College, Minnesota, Augustana College, Illinois, Blackburn College, Illinois. My dad graduated from there. There you go, dad. Uh, <laughs> college, the, the Beavers, the Blackburn Beavers, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's see, not a Catholic school or Presbyterian church, as they like to claim. Uh, Boston College, Massachusetts, Carthage College, Wisconsin, Chapman University, California, DePaul University, Illinois, Eckerd College, Florida, Elizabethtown, Florida, I'm sorry, Elizabethtown College, Pennsylvania, rather, Gustav's Adolphus College, I think that's Minnesota, I, I think I got the other one wrong, Missouri, I believe it was, Albion College, my apologies, um, bad with abbreviations. Let's see, Hendricks College, Arkansas, Illinois College, Illinois, Lafayette College, Pennsylvania, Lindsey Wilson College, I applied there also, assholes, uh, I wasn't hired, shocking, Kentucky, uh, let's see, Pacific Lutheran University, Washington, Shriner University, shocking, Texas, St. John, John Fisher College, New York, Texas Christian University, Texas, University of Indianapolis, Indiana, clearly. Uh, Angus Scott's, uh, Angus, Angus, there we go, Angus Scott College, Georgia, Albright College, Pennsylvania, Birmingham Southern College, Alabama, Central College, Iowa, Cornell College, Iowa, Dillard University, Louisiana, Drury University, Missouri, Gettysburg College, Pennsylvania, Hamlin University, Minnesota, uh, Moravian University, Pennsylvania, Ohio Wesleyan University, Ohio, Santa Clara University, California, Southern University, Texas, Wesleyan College, Georgia, Wentworth, or Whitworth, rather, University, Washington. And then these received an F grade infraction. And these were Christian schools with four or more infractions. American University in D.C., uh, Augsburg University in Minnesota, Carroll University, Wisconsin, Davidson College in North Carolina, Drew University, North uh, New Jersey, rather, Duke University, North Carolina, Emory University, Georgia, um, McAllister College, Minnesota. My grandma graduated from there. She would be disappointed, I'm sure. Um, let's see. Mullenberg College, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma City University, Oklahoma, Rhodes College, Tennessee. I also applied there, assholes. Roanoke College, Virginia, uh, Southern Methodist University Grad School, Texas, St. Olaf College in Minnesota, and Virginia Wesleyan University in Virginia, and Wittenberg University. I also applied there in Ohio, assholes in Ohio. There you go. So that's that list. And people say it's not corrupt. And people say it's not infiltrated by the satanic agenda. Please. But don't worry, ladies and gentlemen. There's also this, a press release from the beginning of the month titled Cardin, Rosen, Kramer, Blumenthal, Rubio Introduce Bill to Reauthorize Never Again Education Act. Yes, that's right. You know where this is going. Bipartisan legislation would extend federal Holocaust education program and resources created by the 2020 law. Sisley sent me this. 
It is set to apparently expire in 2025, and this bill would reauthorize the program through 2030. That's right, because we should never forget the fake holohoax. We need to ingrain it in everyone's mind so that everyone remembers that it didn't happen. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They just have to double down on their lies and actually make it law. Shouldn't that be suspicious enough for everybody? Now, Cicely sent me that one from New Mexico, and she sent me this too. This is hilarious. More evidence of the brainwashing, without a doubt, and certainly the gaslighting. Not to mention the blatant stupidity among these individuals, because you actually have retired teachers wanting to go back into the profession and actually redo it all over again. Relive the nightmare day in and day out. What they've also experienced here regarding these retired teachers, allegedly, who want to go back is they have to now pay back pay because they apparently didn't fill out the forms correctly. So give this audio a listen in three, two, one has asked retired teachers to come back to work, all to help ease the state's teacher shortage. Yeah, now some who answered that call are being asked to repay thousands, tens of thousands in some cases. Our Target 7 investigation team explains why and where the money is going back to. Last year, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham signed a new law that allows retired teachers to return to work without losing their benefits. It's a calling for me. I've retired several times and I just keep on coming back. Vivian V. Hill from Santa Fe was coming back to work even before the law was signed, and more than 4,000 retired teachers followed her lead. Well, they created this ability because of the vacancies and they wanted to attract people back in, and your standard of living can really change if you're getting your retirement and getting a salary. But Target 7 has learned that dozens of teachers are being forced to repay thousands of dollars of retirement money they were receiving while coming back to work. And it's all over this form. There's actually a document that they sign off on acknowledging when they return to work, they do have to receive permission from ERB before before doing so. David Archuleta is the director of the Education Retirement Board, also known as ERB. He says the form is needed so they can determine if a teacher is eligible to return to work. This is driven largely by um, the IRS. Archuleta said more than 4,000 educators returned to work this year, but 42 teachers have not filled out those forms and are required to pay the money back. When someone violates the return to work rules or statutes is we are required to go back there and recoup the payments that are made to these individuals during their period of ineligibility. And for some, it has been a big bill. We had two violations last year. One was recouping $39,000 and another at $25,000. So if you're taking a pension that is less than $2,000 for a person that's making less than $1,000 a month just to help substitute teach, that is a negative impact on them and their family. State Treasurer Laura Montoya sits on the ERB. She has to vote on whether teachers who did not fill out the form should be forced to repay their pensions. She's been voting no. However, she has not been in the majority. I think sometimes it's that they don't know about it. It depends on the school district. Some people have stated that it's in the application process that if you've retired, please fill out the return to work paperwork. Other ones say that it's not in there at all, so they're just unaware. She's wanting school districts to make sure it is written in the application that teachers must fill out this form before returning to work. She's also wanting the state to change these rules that say the educators shall pay their retirement back 
if they're ineligible. I understand what the rules are there for, but I know that it's wrong. And the cases that we're seeing, we also have to have logic as to why this rule was intended to be there and how do we implement it, change it, fix it, edit it to be able to accommodate the current circumstances that we're in, which is a teacher shortage. Nightmare. Nightmare. And they think money's going to solve it? They think taking money from retired teachers who want to come back is somehow going to solve their teacher shortage? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Again, the mind frame of even the person who would want to go back. I mean, if you go back, you might lose your pension. We'll pay you, but you know, you might lose your pension and have to pay us tens of thousands of dollars uh, in back pay, so to speak. Ridiculous. Absolutely nuts. These people need their heads examined. All of them. In fact, I saw this story the other day too. A thousand teachers, by the way, if you caught that there at the end, thousand teachers are still needed in the state of New Mexico. Wonder why. Wonder why. I saw this uh, regarding Kentucky. Kentucky is also having a massive teacher shortage. Hmm, wonder why. 25%, it said, of all Kentucky teachers are leaving the profession. One out of every four. And they're blaming money. They're saying, well, they're not making enough money. That's why they're leaving. Couldn't possibly be all the psychological operations that have been run on them as an entire business and profession forever for the last 120 some odd years. Can't be that. Certainly not within the last four. We're coming up, ladies and gentlemen, on the four year anniversary in March of one of the largest psychological operations that's ever taken place in the American K-12 and university setting. Couldn't possibly be that. Nor could it be the jab juice and the poisonous darts that everybody took, could it? Could it be that? Possible. It's possible. I think it's highly likely. As a matter of fact, let's get into the jab talk, shall we? That brings me to this. I gotta start off with this. This is wild. And it was ironic that AJ, our favorite uh, California lawyer, sent this my way. But get a load of this. I'm going to read this entire text thread here. And uh, it's, it's bizarre. And you talk about brainwashing among these individuals and trying to find a particular outlet where they can share their like-minded, hive-mind brainwashing. Uh, he sent me this, and this is from the Palo Alto... Next door app. Now, what was ironic was before he texted me, I received an email to join the Next Door app in the area where I live here in Southwest Ohio. I've never even heard of this app, didn't even know what it was. It's just another gossip app, apparently, for people to talk about God knows what. But apparently, where he lives, there in Palo Alto, his wife got on it to see what all these brainwashed goons were talking about. And sure enough, they're talking about the jabs. So get a load of this. He took some screenshots and hear what some of them said. One of them said, quote, I always wear my mask when in stores. I have never gotten COVID. I've never stopped as I am immunocompromised. Maybe just luck, but I, did, but I think diligence. And then they continued, and I can't read the remainder of their comment. The next person said, yes, sister-in-law got it, had an earlier version before and vaccinated both that. Before that, rather, I can read. Says, also boosted. Now suffering with it again. Not hospitalized, but very uncomfortable. The next person said, I have had 
two pneumonia shots, my current flu shot, the most recent COVID shot, and the RSV shot. I didn't go out much, but I wear a mask when I do. Thankfully, I've not got COVID or something, and then it stops there. I'm shocked that person's not glowing. I mean, my God. And then a person responded, be better soon. Yep, it continues. The brainwashing is not over. One person said, are you taking Paxlovid? I'm in day two. The person responded and said, yes, just finished the five-day course of treatment. I'm testing negative now, but on the watch for a rebound, which is about 20%. I think the drug works great. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't fix this level of brainwashing. It's these, you've heard me say it a thousand times. They're too far gone. They're too deep down, down the rabbit hole of lies. They're just too deep. Another person said, hope you feel better. Another person said, thanks for your response. Yes, masking is key, another person said. This person said, I did the mask thing and washed my hands, got two vaxes, and I still caught COVID last year on June 24th. My doctor had Paxlovid. Well, good for them. Uh, another person said, hi all, I'm on day four into isolating for COVID. It's still out there and the new variant is very contagious. So this is a reminder to test, mask, and wash your hands. Best, says Ron. Another person said, I went through my company a couple of weeks ago, or it went through my company. Another person said, it's not unreasonable in my view. That's what's going on. These people have lost their minds. They've lost their minds. He said, my wife felt like she, this is what AJ's wife said. He said, he said, uh, he said, my wife felt like she was looking through the glass at the inmates of the asylum, educated idiots. Next door, the app is one of the worst and might still be uh, in censoring messages that went against the mainstream narrative. She responded to a few of the comments with laughing emoji signs, mainly to post mainly to posts that said, I took my fifth shot and got COVID. <laughs> oh my. These people, these people, absolutely nuts. He said, I'll ask my wife to find the message that said, I told my doctor that I took the boosters, so how could I get COVID? Doctor blames the unvaccinated and says either the supermarket, post office, or hardware store. Good Lord. I asked him then again more specifically about, you know, the, the conversations that these jab doctors are having with their patients. I mean, the list of excuses that they have to come up with is astounding. It has to be. Here's what he said. He said, they're telling them the third booster you took pre protected only against the COVID BS3 variant. He said, you need to take the fourth booster that protects against the variant BS4. And tell your family and friends to get boosted. He said one of the commenters said she took pneumonia shots. I didn't know there was such a thing. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. And then we started talking about the airline system and how the entire airline system is, uh, you know, completely corrupt. Trafficking individuals, of course, trafficking children and all these illegal aliens from all over the place and how the government is owned by or owns rather the entire airline industry, which is why they're doing all of this. It's just, 
it's just beyond wild. But it never ends. Again, the excuses that these jab people are making for why they're ill, their list of excuses is endless. Um, there's this quick little piece of audio from Dr. Ryan Cole I wanted to play. I'm going to tell you something. Again, he's not, he's not on the right side of history here. Um, he thinks viruses are real. He thinks variants are real. They are not. He, he, again, like Peter McCullough, thinks, thinks that variants are real. They are not. There is only a consistently dwindling of a person's DNA and immune system. That's why they keep getting sick. That's why the jabbed keep getting ill. It's not because of variants. It's because the body is the variant, because the body is dwindling. So one symptom pops up, and then two symptoms, and then five symptoms, and then they've got seven, and then before you know it, they're dead. That's, that's what the variant is. It's, it has to do with symptoms of having AIDS. So this was from the Vigilant Fox from uh, about a month ago, actually. So my po apologies for this being a little late, but this is overcomplicated uh, nonsense here. And he complicates it. In fact, I'm just going to play the audio, so give this a listen. Again, this has to do with vaccines and vaccine trials and which batch was good and which batch wasn't and what did they test for and what they didn't. Again, jokes on Ryan Cole. None of that matters. It's a depopulation agenda and all the shots kill. They certainly all damage DNA. And it doesn't matter what kind of illness. Again, a person can take one shot and end up dead. A person can take five or six, like the lady you just heard, and she's still walking around able to type. God knows why, but she is. But here's Ryan Cole's roundabout explanation of the clinical trials and how they use different shots from this to that. It, again, it, it doesn't really matter. All of the shots killed, including the ones in the trial. So give him a listen here in three, two, one. For the trials at least for Pfizer, there's a, a very synthetic PCR-type process in making what makes up the, the mRNA sequence for these shots. That's what was given to 40,000 people, was this very deliberate, synthetic, engineered, attempt at precision-type process. This is dub process one. That's yeah, dub right. process one. Yeah, yeah. In terms of getting a lot of this made for billions of people, a second process was used, which was only tested on about 252 people instead of 40,000 people. And that was taking this complementary DNA sequence that is like the reverse pattern of the spike to make your cell make the well, to make mRNA a message, and then your body would make that protein in your cells. So there was a big old switcheroo. We did the trials on this very controlled synthetic process. And that last minute, we snuck under the radar and said, but we're going to make all the rest of them using something we barely tested. And then that's what got rolled out into billions of people's arms. So it was kind of a bait and switch. It doesn't matter if it was a bait and switch or not. 
It doesn't matter. The shots that were rolled out in the trials killed the people in the trials. That's documented evidence. There's no avoiding that. So it doesn't matter if they traded the shots for, you know, from one to the other or the way they were manufactured. It doesn't matter. None of it belongs in your body because all of it is poison. That's the whole point. And my larger point with the doctors like Ryan Cole, again, bless his heart, but he's wrong. He even looks like a guy who's having a hard time saying the story he's saying. I mean, he's hesitating and he's bouncing around. Well, it was like this and well, it was like that. He's just having a difficult time coming to grips with this fairy tale because it is a fairy tale. Virology is a lie. There is only poison. It's that simple. There's no variance. There's no mutating COVID. I want to scream every time I hear long COVID. I really do. I want to choke the person to death who says the, who says the phrase long COVID. There's no such thing. There's only AIDS. That's it. Now, let me read this too. This shouldn't shock anybody. This was published in Science Direct recently, hot off the presses here, December 27th of 2023. It's titled Long-Term Follow-Up and Outcomes of COVID-19 Vaccine-Associated Myocarditis in Victoria, Australia, a Clinical Surveillance Study. Yeah, no kidding. Here we go. Here's the abstract. Myocarditis and myopericarditis are well-described adverse events of special interest following the COVID-19 vaccinations. Although reports are reassuring regarding initial clinical outcomes, no, they're not. Uh, information about longer-term outcomes remains limited. Now, we, we, we know the long-term outcome is death. We've, we've got that figured out. You see how they word this. They try to make it sound like it's rare, it's well-known, but it's rare, and it's, you know, treatable. That's not true. It says, we aim to further this knowledge and report outcomes to six months post-diagnosis from a single population cohort. Reports of myocarditis following COVID-19 vaccination were followed up by the surveillance of adverse events following vaccination in the community, or the SAFE VIC system, the Statewide Vaccination Safety Service for Victoria, Australia. Confirmed myocarditis cases uh, based on the Brighton Collaboration Criteria Levels 1 through 3 were followed up via surveys at 1, 3, and 6 months post-symptom onset. Responses received between the 22nd of February 2021 and the 30th of September 2022 were analyzed. Results. 87.5% of eligible rather participants completed at least one survey report. 377 reports were analyzed, and 76.9% of completed reports were from male patients. The median age of patients was 21 years old. Uh, let's see, that was based on 16 to 32-year-old individuals. 54.8% of survey reports at six months reported ongoing symptoms. At all follow-up time points, females were significantly more likely to have ongoing symptoms. At six months, 51.9% of male respondents reported symptom resolution compared to 22.6% of female patients. Females were also more likely to continue medication and have ongoing exercise restrictions. However, males were significantly more likely to have higher initial peak troponin results and abnormal initial cardiac imaging investigations. 
Conclusions There appears to be a significant proportion of patients who experience ongoing symptoms to six months post-onset amongst patients that experience these AESI. Male patients were more likely to report earlier and more complete symptom recovery, despite significantly higher average initial peak troponin. It says the difference in phenotypic presentation, if I'm saying that right, in females compared to males warrants further investigation and there is a need for longer-term follow-up data. No, there really isn't. We get it. If symptoms of myocarditis diminish with time, it doesn't mean their myocarditis has gone away. It doesn't even mean it's been treated, quote-unquote, and it certainly hasn't been cured because you can't cure it. It's a death sentence. All that's happened is some of the poison or some of the, quote-unquote, spike proteins or the nanotech that's inside of them might not be having the impact that it immediately was when it entered their body. But it's still in over half of them. Still over half of both sexes are, are experiencing these, uh, well, I'm sorry, it's 51.9 among males after six months and 22.6 among female patients after six months. My question is, how many of them died from month one of reporting to month six? That seems like kind of an interesting statistic to note, wouldn't it? Wouldn't we want to know that? I mean, it was like the people in the trial who didn't respond during the trial. They'd show up, take the shots, go home, and then you couldn't reach them for response. So what they're saying again is, is that these individuals reporting on these surveys, that there were less people reporting than there were initially. That it started off with 172, and by the time it reached the six-month stage, only 74 of them were reporting. Well. What happened to the rest? That's what I want to know. We can take a guess, I think. Um, let's see here. A couple more things very quickly. There's this, which is more food for thought. This has been brought up, of course, throughout 2023. This is from the expose. It's titled, Frightening Truth, Airborne MRNA Vaccines Are Being Created That Can Be Delivered Straight Into the Lungs Without the Need for Injection. And who's behind this? Yes, you guessed it, Yale University. Our own government-funded universities. No jab needed, as it says. What could possibly go wrong? I got to tell you, it's exhausting knowing that your government wants you dead all of the time, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, it it truly is. Here was one from a week ago. uh, This having to do with Dayton area hospitals uh, north of where I live here. It's titled, Area Hospitals Have Restrictions on Visitations Due to Increase in Respiratory Cases. And they have a uh, picture here of Premier Health. Here's what it says. Dayton area hospitals have implemented visitation uh, restrictions, rather, in an effort to minimize the spread of respiratory infections to hospital patients and employees. Due to an increase in patients with respiratory symptoms as well as local, the local presence of respiratory and flu viruses, the region's hospitals have opted to implement precautionary measures in order to protect hospital patients and employees. The Greater Dayton Area Hospital Association members of hospitals have these restrictions. 
No visitation by anyone who is ill with any respiratory symptoms, including coughing or fever. So you can't visit if you yourself are a visitor and are sick. It says no visitation by anyone under 14. It says the hospitals may institute more restrictive visitation policies if they serve specific patient populations such as pediatric burn, transplant, or ICU patients. Hospitals will implement visitation restrictions with the utmost sensitivity, I'm sure you will, and respect to patients and their families. And it goes on and on and on. That's about it, though. They don't want you showing up if you feel like you're ill. If you think you're ill, they don't want you show up, uh, showing up and, and being, a, being a visitor, even if you're visiting a family member who is in there and sick and or dying. So, again, hospitals are kill camps. I don't recommend going under any circumstance whatsoever. Uh, finally, there was this. This, again, highly suspicious, and this, I think, is more politicians attempting to swoop in and play hero, perhaps during 2024. But it is titled from Revolver. Uh, Surgeon General, Florida Surgeon General, rather, believes when real truth comes out on COVID vaccines, Pfizer will cease to exist. That's good that Dr. Latipo uh, is, is, is making those comments. Again, good for him. I've also seen, again, that more and more politicians, upwards of 46 congressmen, if I'm not mistaken, are coming out now and saying that the shots have to be taken off of the market. Again, that's a good thing. You're a little late on the uptake, but at least it's being discussed after it's, of course, killed numerous people, uh, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions worldwide at this point along with making endless others immunocompromised forever. But uh, the question is going to become, again, who's going to try to swoop in and play hero? This part of it, of course, disgusts me to no end. And I don't think we should let any of these politicians off of the hook, in particular the ones that try to swoop in and say, hey, we saved the day. No, it didn't save anything. We've been screaming this from the from the rooftops for a very long time, since long before the shot rollout even took place. Perhaps it's time we dig into the financial incentives that all of these congressmen and women, including the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, got from these uh, these medical companies. That would be interesting. And apparently, that's happening actually in the state of Florida. I saw that just the other day. Some. Law has been passed now at the beginning of the year where any elected official gets to have their books gone through to see what, what money they received and where it came from and who gave it to them, so on and so forth. And now they're all jumping ship. They're all uh, resigning. Uh, you know, They want to spend more time with their families and a thousand other things. They don't want to find out that they were getting kickbacks from Pfizer and child trafficking organizations and God knows what else. But there you go, ladies and gentlemen. First episode of the year. Here we go. It's going to be a big one. Always will be. And make no mistake, the, uh, the war is going to continue past the old 2024 election. But hopefully we're here to continue to fight it the best way that we can. Bounce over to the AmericanClassroom.substack.com and check out my latest two substacks. If you would, I would greatly appreciate it. Give it a heart, you know, whatever they, whatever they call it over there, a thumbs up, whatever the hell. Share it, too, with, uh, with people if you can. And subscribe. 
to the Substack. It's free. If you want to pay, you can, but you don't have to. Uh, all my stuff over there is 100% free, just like the show is also. A couple other things, too. I made a few updates to the website. Bounce over to AmericanEducationFM.com if you're interested. There's always a shop there where you can buy coffee mugs and things of that nature. Uh, pint glasses, whatever you want. T-shirts, towels, you name it. There's also uh, a few documents that I updated on there, too, under the medical, the medical documents tab. I've updated the list of the peer-reviewed articles that I have that I've compiled myself, which is an extensive list. But somebody else has also been doing this, which is great. And they compiled a giant list of, it's over a thousand peer-reviewed COVID articles, all pointing to the harm of the COVID shots and how they're killing people. That is its own website. And if memory serves, I also have that linked under the medical documents tab as well. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. I'll catch you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening as always. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.